0: The 60s original TV series Star Trek describes space as the final frontier. But my guest today says there's another frontier we're only beginning to understand, inner space. His research has led him to understand how so-called mindful meditation and prayer can not only help to manage stress and negative thoughts, but it can actually change the neurological makeup of our brains. Good morning, this is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Today I'm talking to Dr. Kirk Bingaman. He's associate professor of Fordham University's Graduate School of Religion and Religious Education. He's also the author of the book, The Power of Neuroplasticity for Pastoral and Spiritual Care. Good morning, Kirk. Good morning, Robin. So what did you learn about the brain from writing your book and from your research?
1: That it is another frontier. The cosmos and and outer space certainly is a frontier to be sure, but What's inside your head and mind is another one. And we've only scratched the surface in terms of brain science. And I can only imagine what will be coming in, in future years in terms of discoveries.
0: And in your book, you talk about how we can take our negative thoughts and actually not only change them, but change how our brain responds. So explain the basis of your book.
1: The book uh, explores, uh, as I put it in the title, the power of of neuroplasticity. And you're
0: going to have to define that for those of us who don't have a dictionary with us right now. Well, (laughs) in
1: in years past, uh, it was thought that by a certain age, the, the brain is fixed. But that's not true. What we're learning from recent neuroscience is that the brain is built for change, across the lifespan. So from birth to death, there is the possibility of neurological change, even for the the aging brain. I think this is really exciting news, particularly for a day and age that I feel more and more is characterized by higher and higher levels of anxiety. Uh, People in our care, clients, congregants, uh, more and more concerned, anxious, worried uh, about the future and there was always the assumption that, uh, well, for the next generation, they're gonna have a better future than I did. Uh, my child will, will have it better. And and now, in, in a way, all bets are off. Uh, it, it's a lot of un- uncertainty about future for, for the nation, the, the world, for me, et cetera, et cetera.
0: So it's a good thing through your book that we're learning that, okay, I have some hope now. My mind didn't shut off when I was like 25 or 30 that there is an opportunity for change if I just take the initiative and do it.
1: Yes. If you're an anxious person, and who isn't? I now go on the assumption that uh, everyone's feeling anxious. These days, it's not a matter of if, but to what degree. And what do we do with that? Practitioners, uh, you know, first and foremost, what do we do with our own anxiety? And Uh, In so doing, uh, help those in our care with with theirs.
0: Kirk, through your book, did you look at any specific types of anxiety? So what are some of the most common fears or anxious thoughts that the average person has?
1: I certainly think in relation to the future, our children, our grandchildren, uh, will they inherit a better world? That's always been the American dream. And now we're not as sure. And they're really... Big issues on the front burner these days. The, the economy, uh, national economy, a global economy, climate change, right? You know, what, what the heck's going on? I think that these are concerns that everyone has. And if, if we put it in uh, the language of spirituality, h- how to stay centered and grounded, even when we notice our anxious thoughts and feelings.
0: Now, part of what you talk about is mindful meditation. First of all, is this different than the meditation that we're more familiar with in the media?
1: You can look at it right from the the standpoint of of Eastern uh, thinking and practice would be mindfulness, breathing, meditation from a Christian standpoint. It it would be uh, contemplative prayer, contemplative uh, spiritual practice that one does on a regular basis just to start the day. And the thing about that, after a while, if the the meditational contemplative practice becomes a regular thing, that it becomes a way of life. So what I did in my meditation this morning, I take with me into the day. If I'm late for a meeting and I'm stuck at a red light, I can come back to that. My sacred word, my mantra to recenter.
0: So to sort of define it, Kirk, it's like, my conversation with myself to keep me calm and focused and not necessarily responding to some of the outward stresses, not being reactionary, but more so being at a place where I'm not going to let these outside forces move me to do something that I might not necessarily want to do. I'm more focused on what I need to do.
1: Sure, and sometimes they will. I think that the important thing here is that we don't want this to come across as something unrealistic that you know i'm going to get it right every time i'm going to stay calm and centered uh, every time because uh you know i've i've been uh doing a uh, contemplative uh, meditational practice for a while now and, and i think it's helping and even those near and dear to me uh agree that you know it's helping but there are moments when we just get uh, uh, <laughs> swept up, in, in you know the the anxiety of the moment, and and sometimes uh, we, we we don't stay calm, and 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 that's okay. It's not thinking we failed. Uh, oh my goodness, you know who am I kidding? I, I'm never going to be able to meditate. No, it's just coming back to it, even when whenever we are off center.
0: And I want to get into the actual meditation and what suggestions you might have, but I want to go a little more into the mind and how the brain actually changes its neurological makeup. How does that happen through this mindful meditation and prayer?
1: Just the the, the terminology that I've seen neuroscientists uh, use is uh, using the mind, our thoughts, feelings, perceptions to change uh, the the physical brain.
0: So how does Uh, that happen, Kirk?
1: Well, uh, it, it's becoming more and more mindful of, of what's going on in my mind, uh, my, my anxious mental contents. It's not, uh, you know, trying to keep the lid on them. It, it's not that. It's not fighting with myself. Oh, my goodness, the, the, there's a, an anxious thought or, or feeling. I can't have that. Well, yes, I can. Uh, it, it's it's what I do with it whenever I notice or, or, or am mindful that, up oh, there, there it is again. You triggered something in me, uh, and now I'm feeling anxious. Now, now, what do I do with it? There is research to suggest that an anxious thought or feeling or, or, or other kinds of thoughts and feelings have a 90-second biochemical life that anxious thought or feeling dissipates in my bloodstream in 90 seconds. As long as I don't latch on to it and feed it, struggle with it and fight with it, because then that fires up parts of the brain that we call the warning center, the stress center, to use a brain term, the amygdala, then that's exactly what we don't want to do. So uh, bottom line, uh, the the anxious thoughts and feelings can come and go. I've heard uh, contemplative practitioners talk. Imagine them as clouds in the sky. Uh, So there it is. And like clouds in the sky. So our
0: negative thoughts are clouds in the sky.
1: As clouds in the sky. They don't stay there forever. Or or waves ebbing and flowing on, on the beach. They come and go. And let them come and go. We don't have to do anything other than be mindful that, yeah, that's an anxious thought or feeling that I have in this moment. I don't have to indulge it, feed it, deny it, or try and repress it because that becomes ultimately counterproductive.
0: So what you're saying is if I have a negative thought, instead of, one, automatically reacting to it and holding on to that negative thought, if I can find a way to release it within 90 seconds, that will physically change my brain and my the chemistry in my body. Is that correct?
1: It has a, an impact on the functioning of the brain and over time it, it has a, an impact on the anatomical structure. This is not easy overnight solution. This is something that we have to embrace for a lifetime. So I am finding a way to let whatever comes to mind come and go in its due process.
0: This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon talking with Fordham University's Dr. Kirk Bingaman. We're discussing how to change negative thoughts by actually changing how the brain functions. So now I want to get into specifics on how the amygdala and the brain actually function so I can have a better understanding of how to change that.
1: Well, it's a re-sculpting, uh, what we like to say, uh, the neural pathways. If I've been uh, a highly anxious person for uh, a lot of years in my life, it's going to take uh, a little time. In you know highly anxious uh, moments, what happens is that the amygdala In a split second, a nanosecond, orders a takeover of higher-order consciousness. In that split second, it hijacks our higher-order consciousness. And as we find a way to be more and more mindful of those internal processes, we can come to regulate them, not perfectly, but more and more uh, finding a way to let higher-order consciousness be in the mix as well.
0: So, Kirk, is there a particular region in our brain that holds negativity?
1: The amygdala, you could call it the stress region, the warning center of the brain, that predisposes us to be on the lookout for negativity, to be one step ahead. It's kept our ancestors alive. The problem today is we don't need as much as that, of that negativity that we did uh, heretofore. So
0: basically, are you saying that we had our ancestors needed that negativity slash warning sign when there was danger? But because we're not running from the things we were running from in the past, because we have different lifestyles and different ways of living now with all the modern conveniences, that we don't need that warning signal, but still, it's still there.
1: Even today, those who are in the military in harm's way. They need that part of the brain in high gear. However, in, quote, normal, ordinary, everyday life, if I come home at day's end and the amygdala is still firing and you look at me a certain way or say something a certain way, then it starts uh, sounding the the warning bell, "Uh uh-oh, Why did she look like that? Is she uh, she mad with me? Mad, frustrated with me? Uh, uh, Doesn't she love me anymore?
0: Or why did my boss Uh, look at me like that? Am I going to get fired? Or uh, uh, something along those uh, lines. So our perspective is actually changed because of this warning system. Yeah. Can we call it something like negativity of the mind? What's a uh, well, good description uh, ne- for neuroscientists it?
1: neuroscientists call it a negativity bias. Okay. So, so the, the negativity resonates more powerfully in the brain than positivity. Why? That's just where it is at the moment. So uh,
0: we respond easier
1: to things that are negative than we do positive? Well, you can do something nice for me. Positive, I'll record that but it doesn't have the same intensity as if you said something uh, negative to me or or we had a negative interaction that the brain remembers that uh, more vividly than positive actions, affirmations. And, And that's why there are these studies that indicate that to keep the brain in balance, there has to be a three to one positivity to negativity ratio. If we have a negative interaction, then we need to balance that with three positive affirmations. If it's uh, relational, if it's in my own mind, I had a really judgmental, uh, critical uh, thought about you, then I need to balance that in my own mind with, you know, there, there are many things that you do that I'm truly grateful for and I appreciate and that has to uh, be a, at least a, a three to one ratio. Uh, and then, of course, in intimate relationships, couples, spouses, uh, it has to be five to one. So you need more uh, <laughs> uh, you know to, to so keep, you're saving te- marriages right now, Kirk. <laughs> well,, uh, keep the brain in balance and, and keep uh, relationships in balance.
0: So you actually suggest we had one negative encounter. But I don't want to let this friendship go or, you know, in this particular case, this friendship go. So now I – it's my responsibility to then counter that one negative experience with at least three others that I'm consciously saying, okay – you know, Kirk came in and he just really reamed me. He just really said something that hurt my feelings. But I know he's a kind person and I know he's a smart person. I know he's he, he probably didn't mean it like that. So I'm going to have to tell myself that to counter that negative thought that's really trying to embed itself into my mind.
1: That's you regulating the contents of your mind That's the process of neuroplasticity.
0: Now, Kurt, you said that the brain is hardwired for, you know, this anxious awareness, this warning. So why is it challenging for some people to enjoy, quote, those little moments where it seems like other people more easily can enjoy those little moments without as much stress?
1: Part of it is obviously uh, the genes that you inherited, I inherited. That's certainly part of it. You know, some people have more anxious genetic uh, makeup it could be early formative years whatever was going on at that time has reinforced the negativity bias though that i come into this world with already there are certainly uh, some people uh, seemingly more anxious than others the good news is that uh, wherever you are on the spectrum you can still be starting today tomorrow with a contemplative meditational practice that if you do it on a regular enough basis, that over time it's gonna change your brain structurally and in terms of its functioning.
0: So by using this mindful meditation and prayer, even if someone is stressful a lot or stressful a little, you can
1: still change the neurons in your brain by this mindful meditation and this prayer. Absolutely, and to say it another way, it's about the practice. If you look at it in terms of cognitive therapy, cognitive therapists like to give homework. We could call it practice. If you're coming to see me for pastoral counseling, I might say and would say, Robin, what if you do 10 minutes of contemplative meditational practice a day as a start? Maybe you'd work up to 15, 20, because it's really important what happens between sessions, I think some people assume that. Well, I come in for an hour of counseling, but it's really what happens between uh, those counseling like me sessions. In that one hour. It's really important what happens, uh, you know, during the week.
0: Now, Kurt, does this idea work for everyone? What about someone who might have some kind of mental challenge or anxiety disorder?
1: Yes, uh, you know, if it's uh, in clinical uh, terms, if someone has. GAD, uh, Generalized Anxiety Disorder, absolutely. It can be something that they begin uh, to put into practice. They could need something uh, additional, regular counseling or or psychotherapy, and and in some cases, uh, depending on the level, uh, medication, and that could be a combinational treatment plan. So it varies from person to person.
0: Kurt, as you said, um, this particular idea was to help religious and spiritual leaders use neuroscience, you know, to help others. Can it be used by any leadership?
1: Absolutely. You know, mindfulness is a a hot topic uh, right now, quote unquote. (laughs) And it's being applied in religious, uh, spiritual communities. But, you know, it's also being applied more and more in, quote, secular, uh, psychotherapeutic practice, in business, corporate world, across the board. I guess you you could even do it here. Uh, If you do uh, a staff retreat at WFUV, uh, it it helps and can also be somewhat self-directed so I can be doing it each and every morning, or uh, and, and I, I wish I, I could say, full disclosure, yes, Robin, I do it every single morning. I, I can't say You're that. so perfect. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I try uh, four days, five days a week to be doing, and for me, a contemplative centering prayer that I do uh, to start the day. And, and it can be a self-directed. It, it can also be done, I, I think, and, and it's good to do uh, in group. Uh, So it's something I do for myself on a personal basis uh, and relationally in in a faith community.
0: If I can ask personally, what kind of changes have you seen from pre-meditation to now for yourself personally?
1: Well, just the meditational practice. uh, And for me, uh, again, I do the centering prayer. So for 20 minutes, you find a comfortable place. You relax and you find a sacred word. Or mantra and that's your anchor for those 20 minutes and Uh, that's what
0: you say over and over again or how does that work yeah
1: and for me like this morning for example I like to do in Hebrew there's a word uh, Ruah which has a couple different translations one is breath another is spirit another is wind uh, used interchangeably so I like to do contemplative uh, meditation in rhythm to my breath. With Ruah in mind, I breathe in saying breath and breathe out saying spirit. It's a wonderful discipline for me because truth is, I'm not always mindful of my breath. I'm not always mindful of the spirit. And the more I do that, the more I'm mindful and grateful for both of those gifts. Now, in in the 20 minutes, it doesn't take long for the mind to start firing, the mental chatter, the, the, the amygdala What do I need to do uh, today? In. What's in uh, my list of things oh, to do? Oh my goodness, you know, am, am, what's Robin going to ask me? Am I going to be ready for that interview? And what do I do? It's really important that I don't judge myself. I just can't meditate. I'm a failure at this. No, uh, just come back to the Word. Notice those anxious thoughts. Let them come and go like clouds in the sky and come back to... <gasps> You know, the the breath spirit, uh, breath spirit, or or whatever it is, peace, it could be whatever has a deep resonance uh, for you. So it's Uh, to
0: focus on that mantra so that you're not allowing yourself to get not only distracted by what could be a negative thought or a negative mindset, but so that you're not focused on the emotion behind and the stress behind whatever that negative thought might be. So, yes, I might say, oh, I'm meditating and I'm saying, let's say, peace. You know, I'm saying peace, but it's getting late. And what am I going to make my bu-? Okay, It's OK that you thought that. But let's go back to peace as opposed to like, oh, I'm so silly. Why couldn't I? Why can't I focus?
1: But, yeah, you, you, you just come back to peace. It's not denying or, or pretending the, the, those thoughts aren't there. Oh my goodness i didn't get the you know dinner for tonight peace you know right. ju- just it's just com- not judging com- them yeah because when we do that that trains leaving the station so to speak what uh, happens the, to the brain when and, we do and, that and Kurt. we get on that uh, rather than coming back to the to the more peaceful uh train of, of our uh you know, centering practice when we do that what happens to the brain it feeds those limbic structures uh you know they're, they're starting to fire uh oh, are you ready for that meeting? Uh oh, are you ready for class tonight?
0: And you know, God, and that's what we're trying to change. We're trying to change that uh, that where it
1: fires. And God bless it. It's trying to keep us alert. Don't forget, because uh, my goodness, if you're not ready for class, that won't be good. It won't be good. And I like to be prepared and teach a good class, but this is my meditation time. I'll deal with that in twenty minutes. This is my centering time. And a way
0: to stay focused in in the present as opposed to what we were talking about earlier, focusing on the future and the anxiety and the stress that might come with the what-if down the road.
1: Absolutely. I think human beings, we spend so much time regretting what we did or or didn't do in the past. And look, uh, we can all learn from past mistakes, but you're going to make them, I'm going to make them so much of our our thought focus energy is invested in in replaying the past or anticipating what might be coming in the future and and i you know and we miss the present yeah and, and i'm i'm so mindful of uh, jesus's teaching uh, do not be anxious about tomorrow sometimes easier said than done and he adds uh, you know just come back to today cuz truth is today has enough to deal with the wisdom of uh, a day at a time, uh, truly.
0: Kurt, now you said you received pushback when you suggested making contemplative prayer and meditation a regular part of a person's life. Why do you think you received the pushback?
1: Not so much pushback, you know, maybe uh, casual interest, sometimes not grasping the the importance of this. And, you know, historically in religious faith communities, uh, there's been a lot of emphasis on... Uh, what you believe, what the church teaches, the doctrine of the church, all important. However, there's not always been commensurate uh, focus on contemplative spiritual practice. Sometimes we think, well, the mystics, the desert fathers and, and mothers, sure, that they, they were doing that deep meditation and contemplative practice, but the paradigm shift for me And I say this in the book, uh, and I think for pastoral and spiritual caregivers is to elevate contemplative, meditational, spiritual practice to a place of comparable importance with belief, doctrine, teaching. Make
0: it all a part of
1: it. And I, you know, again, we've only scratched the the surface in terms of of what we're learning about the brain. Uh, My hunch is that in coming years, uh, we're going to see this all the more. That And we've known this all, all along, that prayer, meditation, uh, contemplative practice, it's really good for us spiritually, but what we're learning now is not only spiritually, but psychophysiologically really has a, a, an impact on on our spirit, our psyche, our, our physiology, our vital signs uh, over time, you know, uh, blood pressure, heart rate, etc. Kurt, what
0: does the acronym COLE stand for and how does that relate to meditative thought?
1: COL is uh, put forward by uh, Dan Siegel uh, and he's uh, developed what he calls mind sight, and uh he offers that as a really simple uh, acronym as as you noted for when we're meditating and it stands for uh, curiosity openness acceptance and love uh so in your 20 minutes of uh contemplative meditational practice you try to apply those things uh Curiosity about, you know, I'm, I'm really anxious about this meeting today or this class tonight. And openness. It, it's not pushing it away and, you know, it's not, it's not indulging it either. Acceptance. Really important. There are studies uh, that indicate the more we can accept what is, at the moment, the calmer, less anxious what we're going to be now it, it, that's not synonymous with liking it there can be uh circumstances external circumstances that that i'm i'm not liking at the moment or uh you know thoughts i'm having uh perhaps a painful memory you know it doesn't feel good i don't really like that but that that's where i am at the moment that's what acceptance means and the, the more we can apply this, uh, the, the, there are studies that indicate it correlates with a reduction of limbic activity, stress region of the brain. So, Kurt, ultimately, what do you see as the goal? I think, in short, Robin, that, that this becomes a, a way of life for us uh, over time. Uh, that This, if uh, the, the acronym that, that you just used, COLE, in in our meditational practice are you know for me it, it's centering in, in my sacred word or mantra for the 20 minutes uh, of meditational practice uh, I, I do in the morning and i take that with me in, in, into my day and over time it starts becoming a, a way of life that it's not just something I, I do that there's 20 minutes in the morning but it, it's something i do when i'm feeling anxious or, or frustrated at points during the day, in, in a meeting, uh, stuck in traffic, you know, late for an appointment. You know, I, I, I can come back to that. Uh, and, so from a
0: neurological point of
1: view, is there maybe a difference between the way someone
0: whose brain works, who meditates, as opposed to someone's? way their brain works who doesn't meditate
1: yeah that's a really good question and uh, a researcher at at Harvard and Massachusetts General Hospital Sarah Lazar has been doing studies on meditation brain studies uh, for well over a decade now and uh, her her bottom line finding is is that the brain of a meditator is different from the brain of a non-meditator and really important even at rest Uh, So it's not just, well, the meditator's brain is different when engaged in meditation. No, even at rest uh, throughout the day, it looks different on a brain scan from that of a non-meditator. I'd
0: like to thank my guest, Dr. Kirk Bingaman. His book, The Power of Neuroplasticity for Pastoral and Spiritual Care, is out right now by Lexington Books. I'd also like to thank my producer, Megan Connor. Thank you so much, Kirk.
1: Uh, Thank you, Robin. A pleasure.
0: Stay with us, George Bodarki and CityScape for next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.